Those of you who are here in attendance with us, uh, those who are watching online, we welcome you. It is good to be back in the saddle again today after a week's vacation. Someone asked me what I did on vacation, and I said, not a doggone thing. And that's a good kind of vacation to have. Uh, actually, not true. Uh, I played a little bit of golf the first few days, and so I got a little excited when Dan just said, if we take communion, our golf game will come back or something like that. Isn't that what he said? Something, that's the way I understood it. Okay, all right. Uh, and uh, I was uh, not here, and it was kind of weird to not be here, and, and, but we were in town, and so through the beauty of uh, YouTube Live and Facebook Live, we were able to worship with you last week, uh, and um, we enjoyed that. We enjoyed the camp we, uh, setting. Kudos to... Spencer and the worship team for the camp songs. Did you enjoy that last week? Wasn't that neat? And the uh, yeah, praise God. And the uh, the little picnic table and the and the tent and the fire. I'm thankful that the girls on the worship team talked Spencer out of building a real fire. Good job, ladies. That was that was great. Appreciated hearing from uh, Ryan Croft as well. I'm excited about what the future holds uh, for Hilltop Camp. He seems to be uh, full of energy and really excited and ready to get some some things done. Uh, I'm excited also to be starting a new series today, and we're basically going to take a walk through the book of Romans. I don't know if I've ever preached an entire sermon series on the book of Romans or not, but that's what we're going to start doing today. And, and when I sit down and I'm mapping out what I'm going to preach for the next several weeks, I kind of have an idea of how long the series is going to last, so on and so forth. I have no idea how long this series is going to last, because as you look through the book of Romans... It is chocked full of preachable, applicable things to our lives. Uh, so uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna run with it and see uh, how long it goes. And if you, if y'all are still listening uh, after a few weeks, we'll keep going. If not, then we'll switch gears. We may take a week or two off for Mother's Day and Father's Day, but uh, we're gonna be in the Book of Romans probably for the next couple of months uh, anyway. Now. Um, I took Romans class at Cincinnati Bible College, and I remember Sherwood Smith, my professor, uh, he was probably well into his upper 80s, maybe 90s when he taught the class. It was the only class that he taught, but he taught the book of Romans because it was his favorite book, and he was so passionate about the book of Romans, and I remember him vividly standing up in front of the class almost on a daily basis as he's teaching the book of Romans with tears in his eyes almost every single day. He was so moved by how powerful this book is, how loving this book is. Uh, he, uh, he was brought to tears almost every day. Uh, it has the power uh, to change your heart. It has the power to change your life. And this is basically what the Apostle Paul is saying to us as he's writing this letter. He's saying, listen, guys, this is what I used to be. Here is what I am now. And this gospel has the power to do the same thing uh, for you. And he wrote this around 57, 58 AD. He's in Corinth at the time. It had been his desire to go to Rome to visit the Christians there. As he's on his way to Spain, he wants to stop off in Rome and he wants to visit the Christians that are in Rome. Now, he did not start the church at Rome, but he had heard about all of the wonderful things that were happening there and he longed to visit uh, Rome. And so he writes this letter and he's wanting to share some things because he doesn't know if he's going to get to go to Rome or not. And so 
he wants to share some things with the church and he starts pouring out his heart on paper and this is how we got the book of, of Romans. And I believe if we spend time in this book, it'll change us too. Is there anyone here today that would like to change? Is there anyone here who would like to be a little bit different? I know someone said one time the only person that likes change is a wet baby. Well, I think that um, there's a lot of us that we might not like some things that change around us, but I think if all of us, if we look inside of ourselves, I think all of us would say, hey, there's some things I need to change in my life. I'd like to change this area. I'd like to, to change this or that. And so um, that's part of the reason why I want to dive into this book. History is full of people whose lives were changed because of the book of Romans. We look at a guy like Augustine, Martin Luther, John Wesley, just to name a few. Uh, their lives were absolutely changed, and because their lives were changed, really the direction of the church, the direction of our world was changed because of this incredible book. So let's dive in, see what the Lord might have in store for us and uh, for you personally today. We're going to begin with verse 1. We'll go through verse 17. And if you do not have the uh, sermon outline and you want to do that, now would be a good time to go ahead and download that if you want the e-version of it by texting bulletin to the church connection number and you can get the, uh, the bulletin uh, electronically or if you have it on paper, that works. That still works, right? Paper and pen still works. Okay, very good. Just check him. Anyway, when we see the words of the Apostle Paul, when we see him pouring out his heart to us, we see that... He is just laying it all out there uh, for the church at Rome. He's laying it out there for the, for the church here today a couple thousand years later. And as we look at Paul's heart, I think our hearts are going to be touched. So Paul, the very first thing we need to see is this. Paul had a heart for the gospel. Read along with me in verse 1, if you will. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, I love Paul's introductions. When he's writing a letter, he did it, and, and that was probably the norm in the day, but, but he does in a way that we don't necessarily do it today. Like if we're writing a letter, uh, it's like, you know, if I'm writing a letter to Jared, dear Jared, you know, and that's, that's pretty much it. Or these days with texting, hey dude, what's up? Hey bro, yo, you know, that kind of stuff. Email. We don't have these flowery introductions like Paul does, but Paul says this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So he's going into this bio, if you will, Will, uh, in this letter of letting the church at Rome know who he is and know what he's he's about a little more flowery than what we usually uh, what we usually do first of all I think we need to see in this introduction because a lot of times we blow right past this and we think this isn't really all that big of a deal right it's just an introduction Paul right out of the gate says a servant of Jesus Christ and we cannot overlook this detail because you need to understand that as Paul is writing this letter, the day and age that it's happening in, in the world at that particular time, a large percentage of the Roman population were slaves. They were servants of, of somebody. They served someone. In fact, some translations use the word a bond servant. And a bond servant is someone who had no control over their lives and they were at complete the, the complete mercy of their master. The servant was completely dependent upon the master for everything. The servant was completely submissive to the will of their master. So Paul is basically saying, listen to me, fellow Christians. Listen to me, Romans in the church. I have given up myself 
to follow Jesus. I am no longer my own. I am now the servant of Jesus Christ. Now, if you know anything at all about Paul's past, a lot of you do, you know that he despised Jesus. You know that he despised the followers of Jesus. The very idea of Jesus being the Son of God drove him to killing people who followed him. That's a pretty strong dislike. I would use the word hate. Paul hated Jesus. Now it's one thing to hate another person. But to have a guy basically hate the Son of God, that's where he was. But now Paul is saying, listen to me church, I've given up all my rights. I am in complete servanthood to the guy that I once hated. The guy that I was uh, persecuting or his followers, those that I was... uh, persecuting, that that I couldn't stand, that I was overseeing the slayings of, I am now saying my life is not my own and I am in complete surrender to your will for my life. I wonder how many of us can say that. I wonder how many of us can say, listen, I am a servant of yours, Jesus. I am completely submissive to God's will for my life. When you sing the old song, I surrender all, do you mean it? Or do you sing, I surrender some? I surrender most. I surrender as long as it aligns with what I want to do. I'll surrender to His will as long as it matches up with my will. As long as it doesn't cost me too much. As long as it doesn't take me out of my comfortable life. As long as it doesn't disrupt my schedule. I'll surrender to what you want for me. See, this is where Paul was. Paul had been at the top of his game. There was nobody doing what he did any better than he did. And he left it all to surrender his will to the will of Jesus Christ. And he's letting the church know, even today, in this nice little greeting in this letter that we normally just kind of skip by, he's saying, he's been set apart. And and, and, and he's saying, I'm encouraging you to do the same thing, church. You've been set apart too. You've been called out. You are the, as the Greek term is, ekklesia. You are the called out ones. You are the ones who are to do what I'm, and what I'm doing right now. I'm urging you to do the same. And the reason that he did this is because he believed that the gospel was true. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know how we can sit here or stand here and say, we believe that the gospel is true and not surrender our will to the will of God. If we believe that it's true, right? So it's no small thing for Paul to say here, I'm a servant of Christ. And the reason he's a servant of Christ is because he believes so strongly in the gospel. In verse 1 he said, I've been set apart for the gospel. That's the reason he's been called. He is called out. He's set apart for that purpose. Look at verses 2 through 6 with me. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God empowered by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for His name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be His holy people, grace and peace 
to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his, that's his introduction. That's a little better than, yo, damn, what's up? Right? I mean, that, that's pretty impressive. And the whole reason he goes to great lengths to share this detail is because he's saying, listen, guys, I have seen Jesus. I've seen the resurrected Savior. I believe that it's true. And I'm changing my complete direction of my life to follow this truth. I think the reason Paul's writing this letter and the reason it's included in Scripture is because God wants us to see His heart. He says in verse 5 that He received His grace. He became an apostle to help the church. It was His duty to make sure that the church was lining up with God's plan for their lives. And this is what He was doing 2,000 years ago. It still applies today. Each of us who claim to be followers of Jesus need to make this a priority too. Verse 6, Paul says, we all have been called to the same thing. Right? He's saying, hey, just believing in God isn't going to cut it. Okay? Just saying that you believe is not going to get it done. We've got to do more than just say we believe. Saying we believe is easy. Saying we believe is non-committal. Saying we believe, James says, is no better than the demons. Right? Remember what James said? You believe that there's one God? Great. That's awesome. It's a good starting point. Good for you. That's great. But he goes on to say, even the demons believe that and shudder. So the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but at least their belief causes them to do something. Our belief has to go beyond just saying we believe. It, it, it has to go beyond just occasional church attendance. It has to go beyond just giving an offering or a, an occasional service project or, or a study or something. Our faith must reflect the Jesus that we serve. If our faith does not reflect Jesus, then our faith is in vain. It's no good. It has to be in line with what our Master is asking us to do. If we are a servant of Jesus, then we have to align ourselves with what our master wants us to do. I think the problem with a lot of Christians is we talk a good game. You know? We, we, uh, we don't really back up what we say we believe. You know what I'm saying? We learn all the lingo. We learn how to speak Christianese. You know what I'm talking about? We, we got all the right things to say. You know? Uh, and uh, uh, maybe we have nice t-shirts and bumper stickers and things like that. Or, um, but we really don't live it out. I remember one time I was playing basketball with some buddies of mine in Cincinnati at a local park and it was a rough it was a rough little park at the foot of Price Hill and we probably had no business going there. In fact, um, th- later on the news that night uh, of the day that I'm of the story I'm about to tell you, uh, we saw on the news that someone had been shot there uh, that day and we're playing basketball earlier that day uh, at this park. We did not belong there, but we went there to play because we thought we were all that, okay? And so we're, 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 playing, we're playing ball, and, and there was one dude there that, was, that he thought he was all that in a bag of chips. You know what I'm talking about? They're just kind of like, he's running his mouth for the game start, and he hit a couple shots, and he had the dress, and he was, you know, he was, he was really something else in his mind and so he's he's talking trash and we're all kind of like watching man this dude must be pretty good but uh 
He, he just talked a great game because when we started playing, we absolutely destroyed this guy and his posse. And we played about three or four games, and the games weren't even close. And as we're playing, these guys are getting madder and madder and madder as we play. So we're playing like three or four games. And finally, after the third or fourth game, I don't remember which one it was, one of my buddies said, hey, you know what, we probably ought to go ahead and leave now. Uh, and I'm glad we did. Um, but uh, honestly... Um, uh, you know, we handled them on the court, but if a fight broke out, we, we were in a lot of trouble, I'm just saying. And, and, and so we, we left, but I tell that story to say it's one thing to talk a good game. It's one thing to say you can do this or you can do that or I've got this going on, but then when the game actually happens and you can't back it up, you really look pretty foolish. And I think that's what happens with a lot of Christians. I think a lot of us, we, we talk a good game and we, we say, oh, you know, I, I do this or I do that and I go and I give and, and I've done this and so on and so forth. But then when the game of life hits and people see how we respond to things that happen in the game of life, they look at us and they go, wow. They're not, they're not really what they have been saying. They, they were all, all this time. Kind of like, those guys at the park in Cincinnati, they had us fooled until we started playing the game. And you might be able to fool some people on how you talk the game, but how well do you, how well do, you do when, when the storms of life hit? If you want to see real change in your life, if you want to make a difference in the lives of other people, you need to submit yourself to the Master. Total submission. I surrender all. His will needs to be of utmost importance in your life. And when you do that, you develop a heart for the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And when you develop a heart for the Gospel, you develop a heart for people. That's the second thing if you're taking notes. You know, Paul had a heart for the Gospel, but he also had a heart for people. Look at verses 8 and 9. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you. I think that one of the evidences of our faith, one of the evidences of how we are living out our faith in Jesus Christ, is our heart toward other people. Our faith should be spreading to other people. Our attitudes should be pleasant about other people and toward other people. And I know sometimes it's hard. I know that there are some people in our lives that we just don't do well with. Can I get an amen? Some of you were a little too vocal on that. We need to do communion again, Dan. Let's get, get back up here. Let's do it one more time. Right? Now We all have those people. It's tough sometimes. To, to have the right attitude. But Paul had this heart for people. He went from killing the followers of Jesus to having this heart for, for people to know Jesus. You know? And I think the reason he was like this was because he knew what he had been. He knew what he had been forgiven of. He knew that the gospel could save and change anyone. He knew that if the gospel could save and change him, then there is no one that he'll ever come into contact with that can't experience the same thing. 
When we look at the people that God used in the Bible, it's, it's almost comical, really. They're all, they were all messed up, you know? Honestly, the ones that are written about, there's very few other than Jesus that, that had their act together. Think about it. Noah was a drunk. Look it up. It's there, right? Abraham was too old. He was a liar. Sarah laughed at the promise of God. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Look it up. It's in there, right? <laughs> Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem and a short fuse. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair. <laughs> He was a womanizer. That part, we, yeah, that was not good. Jeremiah, Timothy, a lot of people thought they were too young. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Right? David started off too young. And then his armor didn't fit. Then he had an affair. And then he murdered the husband of the woman that he had an affair with. Look it up. God used them. Solomon was too rich. Elijah was burned out and suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Don't ever complain about what I wear in the pulpit. Right? <laughs> Jeremiah was depressed. I did not just say that, did I? Jonah, Jonah ran from God. Amos, the only training that Amos had in his life for ministry was pruning fig trees. That's it. God used him. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. John the Baptist ate bugs. High in protein, I guess. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced multiple times. Peter denied Christ multiple times. The disciples fell asleep multiple times. Thomas doubted. Zacchaeus was too small. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Paul himself was too religious. Plus, he was a murderer as well. And of course, Lazarus was dead. No. Don't ever think that anyone is beyond being used by God except for maybe someone who's passed away because there's not a lot of people coming back to life these days. But you think about the people that we read about in Scripture and all of the things that they went through in their lives and some of them were just out and out sin of their own choosing. Some was just some unqualified people. But yet God filled their lives and used them as examples to teach us that no one is beyond the grace of God. Amen? It's up to us to live out our faith with a heart for other people. We must be the light of Jesus and let the light shine through us. If Jesus is important enough for a person to truly and genuinely live for Him, then the people around us are going to take notice of that. Do you agree with me on that? And if you're just talking a good game, they're going to see right through your lip service, and people are going to see Christianity as a joke if you're just talking and not really, not really living it. Martin Luther King said, Dark darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. See, the only thing that's going to change this messed up world in which we live right now is the light of Jesus Christ shining through us and the love that we have for mankind. That's the only thing that's going to change it. It's not going to be any kind of political ideology. Did I, I, love the way, I just love to say ideology because idiocracy is rampant in politics. Amen? Amen. Thank you. 
It doesn't matter what kind of policies are drawn up. It just doesn't matter. The only thing that's going to change our world is the followers of Jesus Christ submitting their will to Him and letting their light shine and letting their love overflow through them to their fellow man. That's it. I don't care what kind of wonderful program that somebody might come up with. The only real change that we're going to see in our world is when we start to live like Jesus. Look at verses 11 and 12. Paul says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul wanted to see the Roman church so badly because he knew that he would be encouraged by them and he had the ability to encourage them as well. So Paul longed to go be um, with fellow believers. And I, and I think that's what that's probably... One of the most difficult things over this past year is not being able to be around other believers on a regular basis. Would you agree with me on that? That you know we we've not been able to to worship like we've wanted to and have our small groups and Sunday schools and things like that. And and we felt that it's just been so discouraging on so many levels. You need that because we're wired that way. We've become accustomed to it. That's the way God created us, to have that fellowship with, with other believers. And if you're a genuine follower of Jesus, then being around others is a necessity. And it's a necessity where we draw encouragement and we give encouragement to one another. And so, being here is not the same as watching online. Would you agree with me on that? I mean, you, you, you just need to be here. Because we encourage one another, and I'm thankful for those of you who are watching online, and that's, that's great. I did last week, so I can't knock it too much, but, but um, you just, I had a preacher uh, that, that I grew up under, his name was George Hewitt, and he used to say, you just don't dare miss, you know, and I never really understood what the, he said, you never know what's going to happen, you just don't dare miss, and it might not be anything big. It might, you might not walk away saying, oh wow, that was just wonderful. But there's just a change in your attitude. There's a change in your life. There's a change in your overall demeanor when you go to church and when you don't go to church. When you're around that encouragement and that love for other people than when you don't. If you don't feel that love for others in this place and you don't feel that love for others outside of this place, then I would encourage you to take a good, long, hard look at, at whether you're lining up with what the gospel is actually saying. Yeah. And then, third, Paul had a heart for sharing God's Word. So he had a heart for the gospel, and, and he had a heart for people. And if you have a heart for the gospel, and you have a heart for people, the natural byproduct of that is to share that gospel with people. Right? You want to share God's Word with people. Look at verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. No. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, yeah, we're all called to be in the Lord's army. The only problem is most of us are in the secret service. Right? 
I can't be that way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul's proud of the gospel. He's proud to be a Christian. Paul sees it as an absolute honor to have the privilege of sharing the Word of God with other people. Do you realize what Paul went through because of the Gospel? And then to turn around and and say how much he loves it and how much he he loves to share it with other people. Here's what he said in Philippians 3.8, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but rubbish. It's garbage. It's trash. Everything else is, is garbage compared to knowing Jesus. That was the absolute most important thing to, to Paul. Can you say that this morning? I mean, can you say it and really mean it? Don't just give lip service to it. Now, why do you suppose... Paul was so excited about the gospel. What was it about the gospel? Why did he say, I'm not ashamed of it? It's because he knew that every time the gospel was presented, every time he preached the good news of Jesus Christ, the power of God was unleashed on the people that were listening to it. And he knew that the gospel had the power to change somebody's life. He knew that somebody might be saved. He knew that someone who was destined for an eternity in hell might flip the script and surrender their life to Christ and be baptized into Him and start on their journey toward heaven. There's no other message in the world that carries that kind of power. Do you realize that? And this is available to anyone who hears it And responds to it. That's a powerful message, isn't it? That's a that is that is a power that not even the world leaders possess. The power to save someone's soul. And we have that message, we have that power that we carry around with us, and and we keep it to ourselves. We keep it to ourselves so often. Look at the verse, the last part of verse 16. It's the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes. Everyone who believes. We have that, that power. Salvation is given to those who believe. The Bible says in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And this isn't just a one-time decision where we just get baptized and we think, okay, I'm good now. This is a continual, daily, living out your life for Jesus kind of belief. It's more than just giving lip service. It's more than just talking a good game. It's following Jesus every single day. It's more than just saying, I believe. Even the demons do that. But it didn't save him. It shook him. But it didn't save him. Maybe you're here today and you might be saying, I believe, but you know, or maybe you're watching online, you say, you know what, I believe, and I don't don't know, I just just like to worship in my own way. Well, if that way doesn't include being faithful to God every single day of your life until the day you die, 
then I think you're giving lip service. You're just talking a good game. And when the rubber meets the road, you're going to be in trouble. When the storms of life hit, you're not going to have that foundation to withstand. When Satan attacks, you're going to lose. So I urge you to consider today confessing Jesus as the Christ. Turning watching online and you'd like style being baptized into Him. Maybe you're watching online and you'd like to make that decision. We have a way to do that. You, we have a number that was uh, shared earlier in the service. Uh, you, can, you can text READY to that number. And uh, we'd love to talk to you about what it means to surrender your life to Christ. If you're here today, you can use that number as well. Or you can come forward. What better day than today to stand up and say, I am not ashamed. I'm going to do it today. Would you stand with me? And if you have a decision you need to make, we encourage you to come.